This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharudin. You're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. In this episode, we're going to be looking at Museum Negara. After all these years, Museum Negara is still considered one of Malaysia's most iconic and premier museums in Malaysia. So we're going to take this opportunity to look back at the history of the museum, but beginning with the location on where it was built and the previous museum that occupied its spot, the Old Selangor Museum. Here's heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa recalling its history. You know, when you're talking about Selangor, the Selangor Museum, Selangor Museum, of course, this was Selangor. Kuala Lumpur was the capital of Selangor. And it was built, um, that that original building was like in the early uh, 20th century. So 1907, I think it was completed. Mm. Um, and the site is the same site um, as, as this current site. The location of the building itself is slightly different, meaning it's not on the same footprint. It's on the same but it's you know it's a bit further forward um, in in terms of its location but its placement that is um, the Selangor Museum was part of I, I suppose if you want to say mad dogs and Englishmen um, you know they they the, the British administration individuals they would have been interested in like collecting ethnography um, I don't know, insects and flora and fauna and, animal, you know, animals and things like that from earlier times. And so in the 1800s, when they first came here, these were all kind of like private initiatives. So let's say, you know, the Mad Dog and the Englishman, you know, I collect something. And then they started being housed in um, a, a space, which was kind of like, I think it was a private place at first like a private and eventually in the just before the turn of the century of the 19th and 20th century um, it was housed temporarily on Bukit Nanas in uh, what was the Istana there uh, which is near where the convent is um, located yeah and um, the convent St. John's in in the vicinity and it was um, housed there as the Selangor Museum I mean you know that was start of a museum collection, and it would have been like an ethnographic kind of um, collection. And uh, Frank Swettenham, I think, wanted to build a proper museum, you know, highlights. At that time, the first museum that was built was in Taiping, and that was the Perak Museum. And it was, um, and, it, and it was kind of like, you know, I suppose it highlights a sophisticated uh, society that is interested in um, not just museology, but interested in culture, interested in, in, in the finer things, you know, of life, which are, which are not, uh, you know, making money or, you know, making us surviving for a living, right? Or, or doing, you know, so this, this is almost, um, you know, outside of uh, your, your general, you know, uh, keep your roof over your head and, and uh, you know, work for your living and eat and sleep, right? Um, go to school, you know? Um, so this is part of that whole um, drive, I would say, to, to develop, um, uh, you know, or to demonstrate a more sophisticated society. And Kuala Lumpur being the capital city of Selangor, 
deserved a, a, a museum. And so in um, the early 1900s, uh, they had identified a site and, and this site was, you know, next to the Lake Gardens. I think when Frank Swetham was planning the Lake Gardens, when, they were, when that was being planned, the idea of having a museum nearby was one of the things that they were thinking about in terms of kinds of facilities that you would have, recreational facilities, cultural facilities. Um, that would provide for the uh, population of uh, Kuala Lumpur to understand more about its place, to have, you know, and to develop this sense of sophistication, right, um, of, a, of a more um, robust, I suppose, all-rounded um, society. So the Selangor Museum was then built there on this place, which is the same site as it was near the railway station, but it was on the outskirts of, of the city next to the Lake Gardens. The, as you know, the original city, historic city core is around um, the Padang on the one side, which is the British administrative side. And this was again, you know, part of all that, that it wasn't the, the local Asian side of uh, the river. It was on the side of the river where the civil uh, servants, the civil British administration would have been housed. And so the collection was moved from uh, the, the place in Bukit Nanas, which was temporary, and, and, and placed in this purpose-built museum building, which um, if you look at photographs of it, was, you know, was, uh, it had a central uh, a block and then a, a central building and two, um, so it was like a, to, it was quite balanced, huh? two wings on the side. And if you look at this museum, the main building and the original building, you will see a central block and two wings. And it almost mirrors uh, what was there in terms of the Selangor Museum. It was the original Selangor Museum that was then, you know, added on to, developed, etc., over a period of time to house more collection, but in which were donated partly, you know, by whoever were collecting it from the locals and uh, partly built with monies from, you know, Tauke Lok Yu and, you know, where the local population also contributed to, to its uh, construction. Um, really, like I say, as a demonstration that, you, you know, you've made it, right? You're not just looking at, you know, your daily bread, but you're looking at something a little bit more sophisticated than that. But do we know the kind of um, items that were displayed in that museum? Um, well, I know what, what part of what was destroyed was during when it was. So, so the story goes on that, well, during the Japanese occupation, toward the end of the Japanese occupation, when the Allied was sort of trying to bomb parts and destroy parts of uh, the brickfields, um, the, the rail line, they uh, bombed instead. The bombs landed on the Slangor Museum. And I, I think that one of the, the uh, collections that were actually lost is there was a big collection of Ming China, for example, ceramics, which were destroyed. But they would have had a lot of the early, if you look at what you imagine to be like early um, artifacts, like, well, early in the sense of, um, especially flora and fauna as part of that kind of collection, um, that would have been part of uh, what was there. You know, um, I don't think there were manuscripts there, I'm not sure. But I don't have that much information on what the original Slangor Museum housed. I do know what it was looked like and uh, when it was built and, you know, how it was destroyed. And 
the person who designed it and built it uh, was um, Habak, who is the same uh, designer as, uh, you know, for, for example, of many of the other buildings in and around the civic um, heart of, of Kia, including Masjid Jamik and all. And if you think about it, it was all there as part of the same period. It didn't have the same um, open, fair-faced brick, uh, you know, structure. It was a, a motor building, a plaster and motor building, a concrete building. But uh, so it didn't have the the what you see the open brickwork, yeah, um, the red the red what we associate with British um, Raj architecture. Uh, but it was built and designed at at the same period um, as part of the the growth and the development of of the city, of the capital city of Kuala Lumpur. So after World War Two, did they actually decide to like fix the 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 damaged museum, or did, did they then? <laughs> so yeah, well, yeah. So in 1945, it was bombed and uh, destroyed part of a big part of the building. So if you're facing the museum now from Central, for example, KL Central, and you're looking at it, uh, which is the front um, face of the building, what was on the left, which was you know the the western side, I suppose, uh, of that that part of it uh, remained uh, intact, but the majority of the rest of it was actually um, bombed and destroyed and, you know, the collections were lost um, and suffered really quite severe, I think, loss. And so in the subsequent years after, after the, the war, the museum was then, you know, they needed to rebuild it and a decision was taken to rebuild or to house and to, you know, continue the collection. And remember all this time that, that the Perak Museum, which is in Taiping, you know, remained the major sort of key. It was a key collection. Okay. So this was, in a sense, only the Selangor Museum. And then roll along to independence, obviously, in 1957. And one of the things that Tunkop Raman uh, wanted to have was to develop alongside a lot of other national buildings, the National Museum. Um, so you have the Parliament House, you know, your Dewan Bahasa. You have this series of, of um, you know, 10 to 12 buildings, which were very much part of this manifestation of the early independence of, and, the, and you know, look at us, we're, we're here, we're here to stay, the independent nation of Malaya, um, and then later Malaysia, of course. And this building, uh, the, well, the building of a national museum, was uh, mooted um, on the site of this Selangor Museum because the Selangor Museum was no more, right? And um, so in the late 1950s, um, the director of museum then, who was he's the late Tan Sri um, Mubin Shepherd, uh, who was the director, who was then the director of the museum, uh, was given you know, the mandate to develop this new building and um, to look at the collection and to see what, should be housed there. And it, and so what is interesting about this one building, if you compare it to all the other buildings that are now sort of referred to as, you know, the Merdeka architecture. And if you look at Lai Chi Kien's uh, book, I think, I'm not sure whether you interviewed Chi Kien, but certainly he's been on BFM, I know. Um, if you look at his uh, PhD uh, research and his, you know, thesis, he talks about the Merdeka architecture. And the Museum Negara is one of the buildings, you know, that are considered um, part of the Merdeka architecture. All the other buildings are actually 
relatively very modernist in, in approach, in, you know, from the late 50s, from Stadium Merdeka, which is the first of the series, right, of new independent buildings, new independent country, nation of Malaya buildings, toward uh, the mid-1960s uh, um, and this, this completed 1963, the Museum Nagara building is completed in 1963, done by either local architects or Malaysian or Asian architects or people who were working or were considered Malayan architects. So uh, people who may not have been originally um, from Malaya, but or, or local, so to speak, Asian, but uh, who were um, operating or who had lived with or worked with PWD, you know, JKR, um, in the Malayan civil service. So these buildings were all sort of designed by them. And this particular link, I think, of this building with the Parliament House is interesting because it's a tenuous link, but the original designer for this Merdeka Museum um, was the person, Shipley, who was supposed to design, who did design uh, the uh, Parliament building. But Bobby Shepherd thought it was too modern and wanted really to integrate local, a lot of local elements and local architecture. So the person who was identified was a, a Ho, uh, Mr. Ho from an architect who was um, based in Singapore, of course, Singapore, Malaysia with the one country, right, by that time, you know, at one nation and so. And um, he was based in Singapore and he was then invited um, to design the museum. And they went on a road show. They went on a study tour. Um, uh, Tunku went with them, Tunku Abdurrahman went with them, uh, Mugin Shepherd, and they went on a road to an, and of course they went to Kedah, because that was Tunku's heritage, really, um, to look at, to try to understand um, the architecture, uh, traditional architecture, what the aspiration, I think, of Tunku Abdurrahman and Mugin Shepherd were, you know, to highlight not just the history of the country, but really the culture and the different people um, who made up um, the country. And so they took him and they went, they went on a road to, uh, they went to Alostar. They looked at the Balai Basar in, in Alostar. Um, and then they went uh, around, um, you know, the country. They went to the East Coast and they saw traditional uh, Malay architecture. And when he came back, he then designed this building that we now know. Um, and this monument really, um, you know, as a, as a celebration, I suppose, you know, if you want to put it that way, of the people and the history and the architecture and the culture of this land of Malaya and Malaysia. So, and it's highlighted very closely, not just in the in the form, but it's highlighted in the um, in the mural, in the two murals that flank the main uh, building. Um, and if you've been to the museum, I really, you know, um, recommend that you go and have a look at this beautiful um, mosaic um, design. And uh, Chong Lai Tong, who, who's an artist, um, was the designer, was the artist um, who was commissioned to design these two wall murals and to create them. And so uh, that's really... Um, you know, on one side, it's about the culture of the nation. And on the other side, it is about the history of 
the, the country ending with 1957, the Declaration of Independence, but looking at the early modern history of, of the country. And so imagine that in the 1960s or early 1960s, late 1950s and 1960s, this is what um, the government of Malaysia, what the people of Malaysia, what the authorities in Malaysia wanted represented in, you know, as an expression of and as a celebration of the cultural diversity and the historical uh, timeline. So that's kind of what you see on, on the murals of the museum. It, it really is quite as a monument, as a structure, it really is quite an impressive building, which has unfortunately been eclipsed by, I think a lot of what I would call additional new structures around it. That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, talking about Museum Negara. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin and I'm joined by our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa. We've been talking about Museum Negara and we're going to continue the chat by looking at the architect responsible for the design of the building, Ho Kok Ho, and whether he's had any other notable projects in town. I think what's important to know about it is, you know, that he was local, meaning he was um, certainly you know, born and bred in and around the region. I mean, as I said, you know, he was based in Singapore, but it's Malaysia, Singapore is one and the same at that time. But it, remember, it was, you know, an aspiration of it, a modern, this is a modern nation. This is not, you know, an old nation. We're not building using traditional materials, mm. but we are building a building which reflects the legacy that we've received from our past. So, the legacy of the historical past that is then imprinted into the design of this new modern building. So you have the the roof structure. Uh, okay, the central, the central, the main entrance, the central building, and then the two uh, galleries at the side. It, it is a symmetrical building, so you 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 look at it, and on the two sides, the two long wings which house. Uh, four galleries, two galleries, two main galleries each. Yeah, And if you look at that, the form of the building looks like, it, because you know that that they went on this road trip and they went to look at the Balai um, Basar in, in Alostar. And if you look at images of the Balai Basar, if you haven't been there yourself, um, you will see some reflection and some, you know, you can see where he drew inspiration from, but it's a much, much larger building. I mean, imagine, you know, in effect, it's like 40 meters into the sky, you know, I mm. mean, it's quite, it's tall. I mean, it's not something that you would see in a traditional um, uh, Malay house or even in a traditional Malay palace, right? Um, but the, the roof form, um, the pitch of the roof, uh, the the finials, um, and the gables all kind of like reflect stylistically, you know, have that that take on. I think the character they were meant to take on um, the 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 character and the identity borrowed over or or 
into a modern era. And so then the question obviously is, is you know, how successful was it? Because um, if you look at some of the other buildings around uh, which have borrowed the architectural form um, of um, traditional, let's say, Malay houses or, or, or buildings or other buildings, and if you look at the scale of them, you know, and how they've been scaled up, you know, were they successful? And some of them you would say are possibly not so successful because you kind of have this rather huge, like gigantic um, structure, which is supposed to be a Malay house structure, right? Um, but it's so big that it dominates. Um, and then with a tower, built behind it or next to it or something like that. And we have several of those types of examples which came up in the, probably in the 80s, in the late 70s, um, from the middle of the 70s, maybe into the middle of the 80s or 90s, um, in terms of um, this manifestation of the new um, architecture or modern architecture reflecting, you know, the new economic policies, the new development of, of the country. In the case of Museum um, Nagara, it was a conversation I had with the um, late Chen Fee once about why was this one successful and the others maybe less successful. And I think partly it was because of its setting, because it wasn't crowded in at that time when it was first built. It wasn't crowded in by other buildings um, behind it. It was really built within the landscape of um, the national of, of the Lake Gardens. So it had a lot of grounds around it, which gave this building, which was on a rise, on, on, a, on a, you know, higher uh, ground, on a little hill, right, a little rise. Um, it gave it, it its dominance. And if you think about old palaces and you think about, you know, how do you, how do you promote, why, why was Kakusa built where it was? You know, it, it is at the top of, a hill, so it commands from its view. When when you're inside, it commands a greater view. But if you're from the outside, it, the vista, you know, as you look toward it from different angles, is again dominant. Especially in the case of this one, because it was set within um, the botanic gardens, which is green and lush, and unfortunately that connection is kind of like lost today because of the highways and the byways that cut, you know, in front and behind it and beside it and all around it. Yeah, I was just about to say that actually. Yeah, I mean, can't help but think of the highways that were, I guess, built around it, right? Because I think, yeah, once upon a time, I'm sure there were no highways I mean, surrounding the, the Yeah, museum, I mean, right? you know, on, it was built on Travis Road, you know, Jalan Travis. Um, and, you know, Travis Road is now like six, eight lanes, you know, you can't cross it, right, you know, easily on foot. I mean, then it was, really, it was a bit backwater, because, like I said, it was out of town. It was past the railway station, which was almost the edge of the city, you know, of, of the original, of the historic city. And um, this was beyond that, right? Um, and if you look at the what is now central, you know, the South Goods Yard, that was, that was Brickfields is across. So Travis Road didn't have very much. Um, it, it was just a, a normal, you know, two-lane road. And um, you used to be able to enter the museum from these beautiful uh, steps that led up 
to its foyer that led up to its entrance. And for many years, the museum authorities, um, because of developments in the area, you know, brought visitors in through the rear entrance of the museum. So I feel that for many years, and maybe that was when you visited it, I'm not sure. You know, it as a visitor, you didn't quite understand or appreciate the architecture because it was like, uh, okay lah. You know, I can see it from the road, you know, in and amongst you know, the highways and the byways, which I'm zooming past very quickly, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, so I may or may not catch, I, you know, a, a view of the structure. I might see it and say, oh, that's interesting. And what is it? And by that time, you know, you're way long gone, right? It's long in your rear view mirror. And um, you can't really access it um, from its front. You had to access it from its side, from its back. And so you, the, the significance, I think, the monumentality of this national structure, you know, has been diminished, I think, as a result, which is very sad. So for many years, you know, visitors used to go in through the rear entrance. Um, then they started allowing people to come in through the front entrance, but you still can't really use the steps in the same way um, that was this monumental entrance way. You know, it was very regal in a sense. I mean, so imagine a palace. Imagine you're going up toward this dais, you know, um, and and that approach is is very regal. Um, That's been diminished somewhat because even though the steps have come back into use, you still can't access it directly, meaning you, you can't do it from the road, from the lower level, and then have to climb up the stairs to this, this height you uh, come in through the parking at the side, you go around the front, and then you can stand on the staircase and have your picture taken. But your approach, you know, your the, the, this feeling, you know, of entrance is, is lost because, well, it can't be there anymore given the highways and the byways. Not safe lah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right in describing that because I was just about to say that I don't think I've ever entered the museum from the front entrance. I've only entered the museum from the rear entrance, and that's why, I guess, yeah, whatever you just said just now actually resonated with me pretty pretty well, I suppose. But that's kind of I mean, if you want to reflect on it, yeah, that's a bit unfortunate. I mean, yes, by right, by right, yeah, they should yeah. have designed it. Or rather, you know, design the other things around the museum to be a bit more, I guess, cognizant yeah, I of, of that, the museum, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, in that, in that, you know, when when a lot of the new developments were being made and done in the, you know, 1980s and 1990s, um, this understanding, I think, of the monumentality, the, the, you know, of conservation and 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 what we talk about nowadays is, you know, um, being sympathetic to the heritage values and the significance of the place and, you know, understanding that, that this understanding, you know, traditional vistas and, and how they impact or, or how changes on that impact on um, the significance, um, the certainly the aesthetic significance of a place. And when it affects that, it sometimes, you know, denigrates, I think, the social and cultural significance as well of, of a place, because, as you said, you know, you don't have, um, you don't, you don't understand the monumentality. If you're going through the rear entrance, you don't get to see those two mosaics. You don't sort of walk along, you know, the side. I mean, and, and they are monumental. Huh? They, they, they're twenty feet high and hundred feet long. You know, I mean, big, right? 
Um, and so really they're best viewed from afar. But you can't view them from afar because you can't really get to see all of it. So you actually really only have to see it in pictures. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, which is unfortunate because you don't then see the detail. You don't then see sort of, you know, the, 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 the subtleties, I think, of what is represented there. And, and you know, that's, that's, these are the two uh, murals that are on the facade. And then you had the grand staircase going in. You know, so this the sense of entry, and uh, in front of uh, the the stairs, you had these two uh, pools, these two water features, um, which which are uh, again the length of um, you know running parallel with the length of the two wings, um, and so they give you a sense of 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 I think of um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, of quietude. They give you a sense of reflection because you have water, these pools, and they're not busy fountains, you know, making, you know, because, because it, it gives you a sense of solemnity, but it also, it, but it's not somber. It's not like boring, you know. Um, and then you go up into the museum and then you're greeted by the, these, this grand hallway, which um, had as part of the building, uh, design the, these features which were you know built into the thing of of where you had a pattern or decorative patterns built into the wall uh, which let light in so you really have this sense of grandeur and if you enter through the front uh, staircase I mean through the yeah that front entrance then you go in and then you see the staircase that leads you to the upper galleries whereas if you're coming in through the rear, which is your approach, you then have to go up this kind of like like smaller staircases, which are kind of like a back servant's entrance. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it as a big house, right? It is the rear and therefore more domestic entrance. And then you get into the hall and then it's reversed. You know, so your, 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 your approach to it is all kind of like a bit skewed. Fortunately, nowadays, they've allowed people to come in through the front. They've reinstated that. Um, I don't know how many, and but I don't know how well the interpretation is, um, you know, to to allow people to understand, you know, what they're seeing because the museum is is really big, you know, and the building the structure is big, and so you are walking along these these pavements, and everything around you is really quite big, and so you really need to have interpretation to point you to look at certain features and and when that's missing um your experience as a visitor is is a little diminished you know you go you go in at, you know you go in through the front and and you go into the exhibition galleries what is good about the museum now is they have a group of museum volunteers um and these docents who are trained in 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 uh, part of the history of the museum or what is in the galleries and they do tours uh, free tours I think for visitors um, certain times of the day and in different languages I think in which you may or may not have to book I'm not sure post-COVID <laughs> what's been happening but uh, you you can have you know an introduction through uh, the museum volunteers group but that's only limited to certain times of the day um, and it's not there all the time right mm. um, and 
So unless you do a lot of reading or you understand a lot about the history of the place and, you know, understand museum artifacts, sometimes your experience is less, less interesting. I'm not going to say less interesting, maybe less informed because the interpretation is not quite there for you to, to get that kind of really, you know, elevated experience. But if you think about it, in 1957, 58, 59, the early 60s, while they were designing the museum, when they, were, they actually brought in specialists, exhibition specialists from the UK, from the, I think it was from the VNA, from the Victorian Albert Museum. There was a specialist who came in. They, they came, brought somebody in from Indonesia, from different parts of the world to help with the design. At that time, it would have been state of the art of and to develop the exhibition layout and flow. So there, a lot of effort was put in into this very, it was a very serious effort to make sure that the National Museum reflected as a national museum, the story of the nation through its culture, through its history, through its ethnography, you know, um, through the artifacts that you found there. And since then, I think, you know, different things have happened and, and um, because maybe, you know, the collection has been added to, but you have different trains, for example, um, you know, you know, you have different cars, but, you know, the trains and the cars. And so what does all of that tell you? Oh, something about the transport history of the country, maybe, maybe, yeah, who's what, you know, and where it's placed. It's not the, the organization, I would say, could be uh, more clearer. Right now, I don't think it's as clear as it could. It isn't that the artifacts are not there. They are there. The exhibits are there. But um, sometimes they're kind of tucked away in a corner. You go through the Pintu Gurbang to enter um, the, the, uh, from the car park. You enter the museum in order to um, enter the museum to get your ticket to go around the side to the front. Um, so you're wondering why you're going in that way, you know, because you didn't know um, your, your approach to, to the world. You pass, you know, a Malay house, you pass um, some megaliths, you know. Um, yeah, so, you know, you know, they're there. But what do they tell you about being Malaysian, about its history, about its culture? It, it's not clear, which is, I think, the unfortunate part of what could be an extremely exciting um, uh, experience. Mm. Um, I have a random question. Uh, I mean, considering that I think you work in heritage and you deal with buildings that are, I guess, historical in nature, um, what does it feel like to, I guess, actually be reflecting on Museum Negara, a building that is in itself quite historical, but at the same time, a building that is... I guess, storing a lot of artifacts as well. So it's like a bit meta, if you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I guess I guess the, the building will definitely be there and it's going to be preserved. Um, but yeah, what, what does it feel like to, I guess, be reflecting on a, on a museum that's essentially doing what you're you know, doing, you know, what you're championing? Oh, no, no. I, what I'm championing. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that um, the thing about, about some of our... Uh, you know, institutions like, like this, um, not just Museum Negara, but a lot of other institutions, we kind of like, um, we react or respond to the immediate need, you know, um, as opposed to thinking, 
more long-term, more strategically. And so um, we will have an exhibit, so we put it on. You know, or somebody's, uh, you know, we say, okay, right, fine, we have a new uh, national car or whatever, you know, so we need to add it to the, so we just tampala, you know, we just, you know, so it, it's a bit ad hoc in a sense. Um, and and so, you, like I said, you know, you, we have three or four different engines, locomotive engines, um, and the funicular car, one of the old funicular cars from um, the Penang Hill Railway. Um, and they are kind of like, close enough by, but they don't tell a story collectively, you know? And, and, um, and then you have the new block, which is um, the new administration block with the temporary exhibition, um, because obviously the museum, you know, had, had grown and uh, staff had grown and they wanted to add a conservation unit. And because you have artifacts and you need to make sure you also have storage because you know what the museum doesn't, has a lot more than it shows, as in galleries and you know. So you need to have proper storage places, and and it, the museum Makara has this incredible um, collection of of silver and gold, uh, you know, um, and and which I think they have. I've seen one exhibition um, on it. Uh, I don't know whether they've ever repeated, it, and that was in the nineteen eighties, I think. Um, you know, but you don't really see the whole collection now, you know, because it's precious and, you know, it's, it's maybe only in parts that you see a, a small section of it, you know. And what was having, you know, built this new administrative building. Oh, I have a story about that, by the way. Um, that when the new building was being planned, it was planned as a seven-story building. It's now a three-story building, but it was planned as a seven-story building um, in the 1980s, uh, mid-1980s. And at that time, uh, the late Tan Sri Ilyas Omar was, um, the, uh, was the mayor. And um, when the plans came, that this is the story I heard, okay? When the plans were put up, proposal was put up, um, he said no, he wouldn't allow for the development of the new building to be taller than the original monument, than the original structure, which is why it's now a, a, a two, three-story building, two stories of which are above a ground at that, that, that level, and then it goes down uh, the slope toward, because, because the hill slopes down toward the Lake Gardens, okay? Um, and where the auditorium is and, and, you know, where some of the offices are and the stores are, are kept. So the, the uh, with, and there is a temporary um, exhibition space there and a concourse in between the two buildings, which have, you know, a canopy over, which is used for functions and things like that. So the, he wouldn't allow that. And for that, you have to applaud him because obviously at that time, you know, in, in 1986, 1987, you know, I, I think it was a very wise decision to not allow because this was this was the National Museum. And so he didn't approve the building of a new building, which was going to dominate, uh, even though it was in the rear, to dominate, physically dominate or be dominant over um, the, the, the form of the current structure, which is why the current building, the, the original uh, museum, uh, the main building with its two wings, um, remains 
in terms of a view, pretty much intact. Like I say, apart from the highways and the byways. <laughs> You know, the, the the other one, the other buildings, the new buildings that have come up, um, the new administration block that came up around it is secondary, you know, and I think that 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 was an incredibly um, what do you call it, a thoughtful um, decision, um, and it was given what was happening around the country in terms of new developments, you know, at all structures, um, it was I think he was ahead of its time at that point. Certainly. And then obviously there have been other uh, buildings around it that have come up and with the highways and the byways cutting across um, the it's it's cultural landscape around it. The landscape, the contextual landscape has been certainly lost. Um, so what do I think about? I think museums are extremely important. I think they're extremely important to have. But they should also, you know, actively, I think, try to, to be updated and maintained. Because I think part of the, the, the perennial problem with a lot of these historic um, structures, and yes, this building will be 60 years old in uh, next year on the 31st of August. It was opened, um, you know, on the 31st of August, um, 1963. So... It is now, it is now in its, I don't know what, since we're talking about jubilees, right? It's a something or other jubilee. I'm not sure what a 60, what a 60 year jubilee is, you know, but it is, it is 60 years old, which, you know, if you think about it, you know, is an old building. It's not new, you know, and yet I think it still remains relevant. It, it's still seen as modern. You, you would still understand it as modern architecture. Um, it's still, I think, really quite beautiful, um, despite, you know, um, the clutter that is found around it, including um, an MRT station, which from certain angles really, I think, um, hides or covers, you know, part of, of the vista of, of the building um, because of the entrance you know that that glass box entrance that you have to it um and the fact that you can't approach it really from uh, brickfields from central because that is not such a usable crossing there could be a better crossing perhaps um, made you know pedestrian friendly but it isn't right now um the approach and it's and it's although it was built meant to be associated um, with the Lake Gardens, that connection is also sort of missing. So there, I think there are a lot of quite simple fixes, you know, that, that could be done. And that includes interpretation, that includes maybe maintenance and updating um, the, the, making it updating um, the exhibits um, as, as we go on and certainly, you know, continuing or, or doing more with um, its interpretation for public, for the public. I mean, in the 1980s, um, when Sharon Yok was um, uh, the um, director of museum, I mean, imagine there were these, there were these exhibitions which were, which lasted a year, temporary exhibitions which lasted a year and which, you know, drew crowds and crowds and crowds. And maybe it was a time when there was, you know, less information. We couldn't get everything on the internet. Now you just, you know, Dr. Google gives you everything, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. You can look at everything. Um, you can look at things virtually now. 
Um, but the experience, I think, for me, I think it's always about having the the real McCoy. You know, having the real experience, even if it's once, even if you just visit the place once, having that experience, I think, is always it, it gives you a sense of. You know, if it is a good exhibition, if it is a good experience, you know something that is memorable. Let's hope, you know, that that these that the museum will continue um, in perpetuity. What you were saying, you know, but to be updated and not to be dusty and outdated. Nah. You've been tuning in to I Love KL, and this week our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa shared the history of our iconic museum Negara. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my/ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store, and you can also find our podcast on Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin, and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.